Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. Hi, I'm again with uh, Stephen today. Hi, Stephen. Yeah, How are you? Thank you. So, what are we going to talk about today? And who do we have with us? So, we're going to we're going to talk about pricing today. You know, if anyone wants to build a big business fast, which is any venture-backed technology company, then they've got to create long-term sustainable economic power. You know, Warren Buffett refers to this as the economic moat that enables us to sustain competitive advantage. In SaaS companies, what I see is that people rightly focus on their SaaS metrics and, and their unit economics, and that is critical, and we're going to come back to that at a later date. But I don't believe they obsess about digging that economic moat, and I don't believe that they obsess anywhere near enough about pricing and the role that that plays in their business. You know, Right from the very beginning as a startup with no customers through the grow up and scale up journey, price is the ultimate arbiter the proxy, if you like, for the value they create and deliver. But you know, my premise, and the premise very much of Patrick Campbell from Price Intelligently, who's our guest today, is that SaaS companies do not obsess about this. They don't think about it enough. They don't think about pricing and how important it is. And they don't think about the huge amounts of revenue that they're potentially leaving on the table. So I'm delighted to be joined by Patrick Campbell, founder of Price Intelligently. And Patrick is one of, if not the world's leading experts on, on SaaS pricing. So good to have you with us. Hi, Patrick. Yeah, thanks. I feel like I'm just going to have you keep talking because um, I like <laughs> the words that you're saying about me here. So yeah, but it's great to great to be here, of course. And thank you for being back because we've actually recorded an episode together in the previous series we've done on Notion. So I know that you know what you're talking about. Maybe let's start with the first topic here. What is pricing thinking? What is the discipline of pricing so important to you? There's a couple of ways to answer that. I think the, the, the first is, is more kind of on the philosophical end. When you think about your business, and it doesn't matter if you're a SaaS company, a subscription company, you know, a, a box of the month club, or you know, you're selling something at a retail store, everything that you're doing inside your business, and it doesn't matter if it's your sales team, your marketing team, your finance team, your product team, the, the person you know, even sweeping the floors, Everything in that business is used to either drive someone to a purchasing decision or to justify the product or the price that you're providing. And from a philosophical perspective, you know, that's, that's why you're in business, even if you're a nonprofit, is, is you're exchanging some sort of value for cash or for a price. So if you don't know what that price should be, meaning you don't understand how to justify and how to essentially convert those customers based on price, then you don't really have a, a really efficient business. We even see this in the data, and this is the second piece where essentially, you know, those companies that are taking on pricing as, as a chief growth lever, meaning they are actually working on their pricing consistently as their product improves, as their brand improves, um, and as their company grows, those companies are just far outgrowing those companies that, that aren't. And in the recent environment, we're finding that acquisition is becoming harder and harder. It's becoming table stakes. And most companies, if they want to continue to have really, really good growth numbers, they need to focus on things like pricing and retention. So I know that's a lot thrown at you, but I think that philosophically, it's it's you know why you're in business, your pricing. And from an analytical perspective, I can certainly get deeper into that data. It's really the crux of, of where most growth is going to be coming from in the next you know decade. There's a really interesting challenge here, isn't there? Because you know when we start with a problem we think is worth solving, we fundamentally don't understand the market. The market doesn't yet exist for the product that we're creating. But we have an hypothesis that there is 
a problem worth solving and there's some value to be created. So how does an entrepreneur or a company start instilling that pricing thinking, that value-led thinking into their business from day one? That's a great question. I think it's less about thinking about pricing. And I know that's a little oxymoronic given your question, but it's more about thinking about that customer. Because again, at the end of the day, that's the person who's making the purchase is that actual buyer. And so early on and even later stage companies, because we didn't learn pricing in school, and even if we got an MBA, we had one class on pricing and it was very, very theoretical, we're very scared to, to think of pricing or to work on pricing because it's something that's you know not, not necessarily thought of as easy. But in reality, most pricing theory and most pricing practice really comes down to just understanding your customer. And so when you're in the early days, what you need to do is simply follow the proper framework and follow the proper kind of fundamentals that you've learned from, you know, the luminaries of high growing companies and the luminaries of Silicon Valley, which are, you know, do your customer development, make sure you're talking to your customers in a non-sales capacity about what they want, what they don't want, what they value, what they don't value, what level do they value certain things at. Because pricing is is more than just the number on the page. It goes to kind of the packaging and the positioning of your product. And if you're talking to those customers, you're not going to have your perfect pricing necessarily, but you're at least going to avoid major mistakes in the early days by you know, making sure you're charging on the right value metric. Turns out they don't really see value in per user. So you're going to set up your pricing on per hundred visits or you know whatever that value might be. But Fundamentally, it comes to that customer and understanding him or her and understanding them in a way that you can extract that value and then basically take advantage of that value through your pricing. Could you explain a little bit more about how people can really isolate the value they create and the value that they create that the customer really cares about at an early stage? How to actually do this or how to actually talk to their customers or a little bit more high level? Yeah, I was thinking more about, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, for example, using the relative preference techniques, you know, to help people to isolate critical kind of value drivers, quantitative or qualitative measures that give you indications of the value you're creating. So, you know, when I look at some of the companies that we had, they just don't know what value they're creating. And that's what I'm pushing them to find out. And maybe I just lack the right questions to say, how do you figure out what value you're offering to the customer at a very early stage? The first step is is very much just talking to customers. And, and you would think that that's something that wouldn't be a problem. But more often than not, what we find is that most companies, they're not talking to their customers about really anything except sales or support. And what I mean by that is, is we're not talking to our customers about features, roadmaps, those types of things. The average number of customer development calls we have per month as an industry, not only in the early stage, but even the late stage is only 10. That's pretty scary if you think about it, especially if you're a big company. Um, and in the early days, you should be talking to as many people as you can to learn. And so that's the first step. I think taking it one step down, it is all about how you actually ask your customers or your target customers. A lot of people are scared to have these conversations because whether you know we have some sort of puritanical roots or we're just nervous because it's kind of salesy and, and you might be scared that you're going to scare off someone by asking them about price. We're just nervous. And in reality, it's 
it's actually pretty simple to just go to someone and say, Hey, you know, we talked about these particular features, you know, or we talked about this product, like what's the willingness to pay? And the way to do that, there's two tactics that we typically recommend when you're talking about things like features and you're talking about things like value propositions or just trying to compare and contrast anything in the world um, or anything with your product. Typically, what you want to do is, is we have something called relative preference, which is like max diff or conjoint analysis and basically going to someone, giving them five options and then asking them, what's the most important out of this list? And then what's the least important out of this particular list? And if you do some basic math, and I promise the math is, is straightforward, you start to see not only things like rank order, but you also get magnitude. And you can start to figure out, hey, in our roadmap, these five things that we thought were really, really important, turns out there's only one of these that's super important. And then most of them are very, very negative. No one really wants them. And when it comes to pricing, it's actually even more straightforward where if I'm on the phone with someone or if I'm doing this via a survey, um, and I know everyone hates surveys, but we hate them because we're really bad at sending them. Um, and in actuality, they're one of the most powerful tools if you do some little tactics here and there that I can go through. But on the pricing side, it's it's really straightforward. I can go to someone and I can ask them, you know, at what monthly price is this way too expensive that you would never consider purchasing it? And I can ask them questions like, at what monthly price is this, you know, a really good deal that you would sign up today? And there's a couple of other questions you can ask, but when I take that data and again, do some relatively basic math that you can make much more complicated if you want, I get what's called a price elasticity curve. And I can actually start to see for that particular market if I move my price, what's going to be the relative gain or loss in the number of sales that I'm going to make? But those two tactics are are basically tools in, in your tool chest where you can ask those qualitatively. I can ask you those on the phone if I'm having a discovery call, or I can do that quantitatively through survey analysis where I can collect you know hundreds of responses from, from my personas. But Long story short, it really comes down to just talking to your users or your target users. So if you don't have the ability or you're scared to do the surveys or things like that, just start talking because your customers are the only people in the world that are going to be able to tell you what they value. And if you use some of these tactics and, and there's other ones that we can obviously go through, that's where you're really going to come and, and, and basically gain the best knowledge for your pricing and just the value of your product overall. Is the analysis uh, you're, you're providing us with here, is it robust enough? Meaning it's one thing to say, yeah, I would be ready to pay that price. Another thing to actually pay that price. Do you compensate for that when you do the analysis? It depends on the rigor of your calculation. So our algorithms internally, the ones that people buy, they're actually accurate to the level of about plus or minus 3%. But that's because we've done a lot of work making the formulas behind and the cleaning of the data, you know, doing really well with it. If you just do the basics, and this is a public, open, you know, academic research paper that I can share with everyone, you'll typically see at least kind of the benchmark. And it ranges depending on how much data you collect. But we see on average, it's, you know, plus or minus 15 to 20%, which don't get me wrong, is a very wide range. I mean, you can clean the data and make that range smaller but you're at least starting to see the ballpark of where you should be. And 
most of the time, the objections to this is, oh, survey bias, oh, this, oh, that. But what we found is that questions actually account for a lot of that bias. And of course, you're going to get, you know, jerks who say zero, 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 or, you know, a million dollars, you know, when it's a hundred dollar product. But those people don't realize that obviously you're going to take that data out. You know, it's not something that you're going to keep in. And so long story short, it actually is is really, really beneficial to start collecting this data. And what you're doing is you're not looking for perfection because if I ask 10 people their willingness to pay even for a bottle of water, I'm going to get 10 slightly different answers. They're all going to be around, you know, one dollar, one pound, or one euro, or maybe two two euros, or depending on you know where we are in the world. But they're still going to be slightly different, even for something that's a little bit more commoditized. What I'm looking for, especially when I'm building out pricing for a SaaS product or a subscription product, is I'm really looking to understand: Am I a hundred dollar product? Am I a hundred and twenty dollar product? Am I a thousand dollar product? Like, where do I sit? And then, what's the profile of that elasticity? Meaning, how commoditized is my market? Because if I go ask 100 people about a CRM, I'm probably going to get very, very rigid answers and rigid curves. There's not a lot of elasticity in that market. But if I go ask something about some new machine learning or AI or you know crypto or something like that, that you know the world we live in right now, I'm going to get very, very wide answers. And that because I have that, it allows me to make better decisions and ultimately allows me to, to, to start using pricing as a way that I can start to track my trajectory when it comes to value. And ultimately, it's never going to be 100% until you put it out there in front of customers. But what you're doing is you're trying to hedge the risk of that decision. And you're trying to learn so that you can you know, make the best strategic decisions around building your company. And I think you're right, Patrick. There are, there are lots of people who will object to doing this kind of analysis early because you know I just don't have enough data. I don't have enough customers. But you can't let that obsession with perfection be being the enemy of, of good. You need to ask these questions. And right at the beginning, you need to understand the value you're creating and the willingness of a customer to pay to receive that value. As you come out of that phase, when I think about it from a, that discovery phase that says, I, I am solving a problem that, that's worth solving. And I've proven that I can create value. And, and actually, I've established through these mechanisms that the proxies for that value, if you like. Now I need to start to think about kind of laying the foundations for, for scale. And I just want to bring you back to something you said earlier when you talked about the importance of your speed of acquisition. And I'm wondering how you think about pricing in terms of using pricing to do two things. One is to drive acquisition faster. And two is to use pricing to drive value expansion faster. I don't want to make pricing be a friction to the initial decision. You know, I, I need to find a way of getting this product into a customer's hands as quickly as I can. However, I also need to have a pricing mechanism that scales as the, the customer receives and achieves value. So if I think about Slack as an obvious example or Zoom or whatever, and it's the same thinking with product, and this is something I'm going to be coming back to in a different recording, is to say you need to think about how you're engineering product to get it into the hands of customers quickly, their usage expands and product becomes your greatest sales tool. And your pricing can be a sales tool in that regard as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we typically find is that when you think about your funnel and, and kind of your post funnel, and everyone's got a little bit of a definition of, of funnel. And so what I'm thinking about is when you think about kind of your acquisition 
then your conversion, and then your kind of retention, just to keep it really simple. Your pricing has a lot of influence on how smooth that kind of transition from one place to another looks like and, and how long people will stick around. So if you have very, very easy to understand pricing, you have you know a really, really low price point initially, like a freemium model, and you're selling to you know B2C or something like that. So you're selling to, to direct to consumer. You'll have some really, really good, you know, frictionless growth where someone comes in, they make a purchasing decision relatively quickly, and then they stick around as long as the product is worth the value that they're actually getting. And what this really comes from is making sure that your pricing fits that particular customer, which was what we were talking about before. And to do that, or one of the most tactical ways that you can do that, and you should, whether you're a small business, medium business, or, or an enterprise business, is really making sure that you're pricing along what's called a value metric. So this is how you charge. It could be per user, which isn't the default that you should be using, but I know it's kind of old school to be using it. Um, it can be per data integration. It could be per hundred this or hundred that. It could be a whole host of things. But the reason this is so powerful is because if I come as a you know Johnny or Jane startup to your company, and let's say I'm buying video hosting and analytics like a Wistia or a Vidyard, for example, if I come and, and basically you know offer up you know the opportunity to to buy your product, and you show me a thousand dollar per month price point, I'm going to be spooked, right? Because it's like oh I'm you know very small, I can't afford it, maybe I don't value it. But if you show me something that's free but very, very limited in terms of the amount of videos I get to upload or is like very cheap but I have a limited number of you know, basically videos, I at least can taste the product, if you will, or try the product without having to have a ton of decision-making process happening on, on my end. Now, once I get in and I start using the product – all of a sudden, if I start consuming more of that particular value metrics, the number of videos that I might be uploading, now all of a sudden I'm going to start using the product more and more. And as I get more value from the thing that I'm using, all of a sudden I'm going to be willing to pay more and more. So all of a sudden that Johnny or Jane startup, as he or she grows that business and is starting to consume more videos in this particular case, all of a sudden I'm going to get to a point where it's like, oh, wow, I'm now paying that $1,000 per month relatively quickly, even if I'm still a startup, but I'm using and consuming more and more of that product. And as I grow to a mid-market company, an enterprise company, I'm going to keep paying more and more. And it doesn't mean you have to use a value metric. It's one of the easiest ways to make this kind of foolproof. But it does mean you need to be considering a couple of things when you're doing your packaging, your positioning, et cetera. One, you need to make sure you're considering how complex am I going to make this pricing? So if I'm doing a consumer product, I want to make it as simple as possible because more often than not, I'm not going to have a sales team. If I'm selling a giant enterprise product that needs to sell for a million dollars for us to make a good business, good growing business, then of course, I'm going to make it a little bit more complicated, if not a lot more complicated. And you're going to have to talk to a salesperson. There's going to be scopes. There's going to be a bunch of different things. But there's also some really interesting companies in the middle, like a HubSpot, where all of a sudden HubSpot, for instance, you have to talk to a salesperson, but the price point isn't quite perfectly cheap but it's a little bit higher and they found kind of that sweet spot that justifies the sales team, but also allows them to come in and have those companies actually grow. So it's kind of this complexity versus price point spectrum that you have to think about. And then you also have to think about, you know, how you're actually going to make sure you're growing those particular customers. And 
when you're in the early days, I always recommend starting with some sort of a value metric so you don't cap your growth. And also that you make sure you're not paying Johnny or Jane startup the same amount you're paying you know, Oracle who comes to use your product or a giant enterprise company that comes to use your product just to make sure that you're covering. And then as you grow, this is one of the things that actually can pull you from a mid-market to an enterprise company and continue to grow because you're continually taking essentially that value off the table from those customers who continue to use more and more of your product. That's really good and really interesting. And I, I think that people, they don't think about pricing in a way and how it's actually going to drive speed and velocity and then how it's going to drive revenue as the customer receives value. As we've been trialing a couple of products, internally SaaS products. One of them is, is Zoom. We've got free licenses. Everybody thought it was great. We said, well, how much is this going to cost us to roll that across the whole business? Oh, come on, that's a no-brainer. We'll do that. There's only 15 of us, you know, it's no big deal. And and so that decision was just made in a heartbeat. You know, we did a three-week trial and then we're rolling the product out. And then another product we use quite extensively, I don't know if you've come across is Splash That. It's an event management tool. The free product is great and we use it for most of our event hosting. And uh, I've been happily would pay for it, even with a bit of, you know, it's got some logos on it and it isn't quite customizable. And I said, well, guys, we, we should be reusing this more effectively. Can you find out what the license would be for our size of business? And and it's fifteen thousand pounds per annum. And it's like you've got to you're going to you'll find another solution. I'm not going to do that. Don't even bother having a conversation with the salesperson. So it's a really interesting fine line, isn't it? What's interesting about this is that some people don't necessarily see or realize is that. Sometimes you're going to have, you know, notions or, or companies like that that just don't fit the profile, right? So splash that, and I don't know a lot about their their particular company individually, but they might have decided, hey, we're only going to go after these types of companies who, you know, our floor is fifteen thousand, you know, per annum because that's just how the unit economics work, and those are the people who use the product the best, etc. And that type of company is making those decisions for good reasons, but theoretically, you want something that's across the entire spectrum if you can make it work. Meaning, all of a sudden, you come in as Notion, and maybe you don't host enough events, but maybe you're paying them, you know, two hundred dollars per month or you know five thousand per annum somehow, and they're totally fine with that, and you don't have as much support or you don't have as many of the features, but you don't need any of those features. That's kind of the perfect pricing, if you will, where anyone who comes in has kind of the exact thing or the exact level of product that they need, and they're willing to pay the exact amount for it. It pretty much doesn't exist in a perfect world because <laughs> everyone's a little bit different. But it is one of those things where you know sometimes you need to make those tough decisions to basically abandon certain types of customers or essentially make sure that you're focusing in a way that you can have that spread across, you know, small, medium, and large, essentially. So just moving it on just to the final phase, this kind of scale-up phase, and this is way too big a topic to cover in um, um, in, in the next few minutes. But but we're, we're going to do, so. do our damnedest, and but we'll come back to it. <laughs> so I, I've, I've figured out the value I create and the customers I create it for and, and who my ideal customers are. I've figured out how to create pricing in a way that it, it drives speed of acquisition and I'm aligning with value. And I'm now, I'm doing 20 million ARR um, and, uh, and I'm getting ready to really go into a massive growth phase of internationalization, covering multiple markets, multiple geographies, multiple segments. 
And I'm starting to deliver quite a lot of complexity through pricing. How should the pricing thinking change as I go into that kind of massive scale phase? That's a good question because it fundamentally, if you don't have full-time product manager or marketing manager, you know, someone dedicated to pricing at this stage, you're missing out considerably. And what I mean by that is there's so much complexity that starts to happen because as you reach that scale stage, unless you're, you know, very successful on kind of an SMB side, you're probably going to have a sales team of some sort. And that sales team, whether it's pure software or a mix of services and software is probably going to be you know, a little anarchical, meaning there's a little bit of anarchy happening because they're trying to close their numbers and you're trying to achieve your growth. On top of that, the flows, just the, you know, the sediment layers, if you will, on your marketing flows, your sales flows, your product, all those different things. There's going to be a lot of just complexity in general because you've grown probably really quickly. And because of that, you need someone where his or her job is essentially to track the value and to understand exactly what's happening with these different inputs that go into your pricing. So I would say fundamentally at this scale-up stage, you need to have someone pretty close to full-time and maybe they kind of share resources with customer development or customer research, but pretty considerably need to you know focus in on making sure that they're constantly looking at pricing. And I think that the second piece is, and this kind of branches down from from having that person, is also making sure that you're actually using pricing as a growth lever. You should be changing your pricing, even in the early stage, but especially in the scale-up stage, in some way. And this doesn't mean necessarily changing the actual price you're charging, but you should be changing something about your pricing every six to nine months in order to take advantage of every little thing that you're actually doing to boost value. And some people are kind of taken aback and pretty shocked by that that pace because, you know, the average amount of time that people are changing is, you know, once every 3 to 5 years unfortunately. But the reason is is because your product is constantly improving and your brand is constantly improving if you're a growth company and you essentially want to capture that value in some way. Now, that might mean moving a feature from one tier to a next. It might be launching a feature on one tier and not on the rest. It might be actually upping your pricing. It might be lowering your value metric. There's a whole host of different things that you should be doing, but essentially you want to pace your pricing development with your product development to make sure that everything's kind of in sync. And this goes back to one of the first things that you said, Stephen, which was essentially your pricing is the exchange rate on the value that you're creating. And if you think about pricing in that manner, value is just accelerating so quickly in a scaling company. And you want to make sure that you're basically taking advantage of that. I wish I had said that. It's a great quote. <laughs> well, you said part of it. It's something we've we've said. You said most of it. And it's something that I uh, we've been saying for a while. So I wanted to, to give you a little shout out. There, Pricing is the exchange rate of product for value. I just love that. And that cuts right through to every stage. And if you're not thinking about this from the very first day that you've isolated a problem and you want to understand if it's worth solving through to I'm now a category leader and I've got 200 million of, of annualized revenue, you, you're leaving money on the table. Yep. hundred percent. And that's, that's what you want to avoid. And you're always going to leave some money on the table, right? You know, uh, splash that is leaving your cash on the table that you were willing to pay, but it's a measure of those trade-offs. And if you're not essentially measuring where the scale of those trade-offs are, you're just going to end up missing out on on those opportunities. And 
that's what turns into, you know, these, these people who, you know, after five years, all of a sudden their board or their customers are yelling loud enough about their pricing. And then they call up, you know, McKinsey or some, you know, Simon Kutcher or some big consulting firm who comes in and wants to do a million dollar project to fix it. The problem is, is that it's not getting to the fundamental problem, which is this is something, especially in a high growth company, that's that's constant, right? And it, it shouldn't be a five month project in your fifth year of in business. It should be something where you're making incremental changes and doing incremental research every quarter and then, you know, rolling out larger changes every six to nine months or at, at most 12 months in order to make sure you're capturing, you know, this value. Great. It wasn't quite three or four minutes to do the whole 20 to 200 million kind of growth phase, but, but I think we got fairly close there. <laughs> There's a really clear, distinct phase of thinking and mentality that you need to apply while there's at the different stages but there's a very common thread going through all the way through it as well so i think it was very powerful well on that thank you so much thank Patrick, you and, uh, thank you Stephen. see you next time thanks Patrick. absolutely we'll see you guys <laughs>